Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into episode 17 of the Pegasus Podcast presented by Night Sports Now. I am Bailey Adams and I'm joined as always by Christian Simmons. You can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCASimmons, and go ahead and throw us a follow at Night Sports Now while you're there. This is uh, a little bit different. Christian and I, for 16 episodes, have been doing this over Zoom. And now, episode 17, we've decided, hey, let's just do this in person. Uh, I don't know why I said it like we didn't think about it before, but we're both vaccinated now. We're both, um, I don't know, able to do it in person. So, Christian, how you doing? Which I was going to say what you just said, that it's like, oh, we're both vaccinated. But we've been hanging out yeah. for like a few months now, so it's not like that was the holdup. <laughs> I think it was just a convenience thing. But if you've listened to the podcast, which they don't even know all of it, hello listeners, oh. we've had so many issues with like connection and having to like stop in all the podcasts because my Wi-Fi's down and we're just going to not do that because that got really <laughs> freaking annoying. <laughs> it was a, it was a fun little bit of doing just every, every week it was, all right, is it going to, is it going to hold up? Is it going to hold up? And well, now we don't have to worry about it so much anymore. Um, but if before, somehow there is like a oh. break in connection in person, I don't even, I will be stunned. That like, would probably just be like me, like not knowing how to talk, or, like me <laughs> short circuiting or something. Well, that happens anyway. <laughs> it kind of does. But before we jump into our, our topic of, of this episode, I do want to report that Christian did a great job uh, for me at the UCF yard sale. He got me a, a pewter football jersey and a baseball practice jersey. He didn't let me down. UCF kind of let me down a little bit by not having, I guess, a lot of uh, regular baseball jerseys and having no soccer kits. But So I'm not sure if they had no soccer kits or oh. if just the shareholder society was big fans of soccer kits. Because I did find lots of soccer shorts from their like, okay. official uniform. So All right, well then, sure. yeah, maybe UCF didn't let me down either, and that's just circumstances. But anyways, I'm now in possession of uh, a baseball uh, practice jersey and a football jersey. Very excited about it. Going to frame the football jersey. Because I didn't consider beforehand how weird it would look if I tried to wear it. Because it's all fitted, and I just... I'm not going to do it. I yeah, didn't, I didn't you, you asked me, yet. you were like, do you have any extra large? Uh, I was like, buddy, I don't know if you've seen people just trying to wear like actual football I didn't but... consider it at all. I didn't consider it even a little bit, but yeah, I'm going to frame it. It's going to be a nice little little centerpiece for, I don't know, my room someday, someday. And on the last podcast, you might remember me saying that I wasn't going to buy a helmet because the helmets were too expensive. <laughs> and uh, I bought a helmet because I was not expecting the 2017 Navy game helmets to be there. <laughs> which is one of my favorite UCF helmets ever, and uh, things spiraled from there. So. I, I will say that my dad was, like, blown away that you bought a helmet, and he was like, I told him, I said, if I would have been there, like, that's probably the only thing that stopped me from not buying one was that I wasn't there, and he goes, I'm so glad you weren't there. Because he didn't like the idea of me spending $600 on a helmet. I don't like the idea of me spending $600 on a helmet. Listen, last time, the last yard sale in 2018, they only had, like, 30 helmets out, and it was, like, this mad dash, and people were, like, scrambling over each other. I just showed up this time and it was like hundreds and hundreds of helmets just like spread on tables glistening in the freaking sunlight. And I was drawn, like, I, I never understood the phrase like drawn like a moth to a flame until now. Like it was not, <laughs> it was not my decision to walk up to the helmets and start messing with the helmets. It was just like, I had to do it. Yeah. No, if, if I would have been there, I think, I don't think I would have been able to resist just because, I don't know, I walked into your house and I saw one on the kitchen table and I was like, oh man, I wish I had one. That would be the one I bought. So I yeah. I have if, four. <laughs> If there's another one next year and I make it to it, I may come away with a helmet. I don't know. If they raise the price like 800 maybe I'll be able to show some restraint. But I'm sure I'll do the same thing where I say that's too much. I'm priced out <laughs> and buy one anyway. So. Uh, well, what can you do? Uh, today, we're going to talk about... Actually, we called an audible like five hours before the podcast. We we're going to talk uh, about something entirely different. But instead, you know, UCF got another transfer. And they've just been having a ton of success in the transfer portal. Um, I guess you can say success relatively because none of these guys have played for UCF yet. So we'll see down the road if it's actually success. But they've just been getting a, a lot of a lot of commits from the transfer portal, and we're just going to talk about you know some of these guys um, and how you know how it, it kind of impacts our thoughts on the 2021 season, what the roster looks like now, and then yeah, we're going to talk about some of these guys and who we think are going to be the most uh, most high impact players in 2021. And yeah, just na naming these guys off. The, since Malzahn and his staff arrived, um, these the falling players have come to UCF via the transfer portal. They got running back Mark Anthony Richards uh, from Auburn, defensive tackle Ricky Barber from Western Kentucky, running back Isaiah Bowser from Northwestern, wide receiver Nate Craig Myers from Colorado State, formerly of Auburn, defensive end Big Cat Bryant from Auburn, kicker Riker Casey from App State, uh, linebacker Herkley Latu from BYU, uh, this week recently, uh, former five-star, according to Rivals, four-star on 
Um, it's Jordan Johnson from Notre Dame. And today, uh, as Thursday, as you're listening, uh, you're listening to this, it would have been yesterday or, I don't know, we're recording this on Thursday. On Thursday, they got linebacker Bryson Armstrong from Kennesaw State, who was one of the top defensive players in the FCS. Um, so just, yeah, I mean, cleaning up on the, in the transfer portal. And Christian, what do you think um, this the success of these these additions, what, has it impacted your, your optimism or just your excitement at all for the 2021 season because I know before like we were excited but kind of trying to temper expectations have you still been doing that really I've been trying to temper expectations yeah, I mean <laughs> the one and only UCF fan in the world that apparently doesn't think Dylan Gabriel is the greatest quarterback since Mackenzie Mill well I guess actually he is <laughs> but you know what I mean uh no I just like being proven right and I feel like I've been immediately proven right because last week we talked about how I, I said that I felt the biggest selling point you can take away from the NFL draft with UCF getting four transfers drafted was that's your pitch to transfers. Come transfer to UCF and get drafted. And then Malzahn was like, listen to it, was like, that's a good point, Christian. And he went out there and got a bunch more transfers. So I don't I don't know. I've been going back and forth all day on what I was going to say here about, because I've been pretty, I think I've said on like at least five or six podcasts now that I think 10 and 2 is my prediction for next year. And I still don't know if I want to change that. Because, I mean, you look at this, there's a lot of guys that I feel like are going to, like, of these eight transfers, I feel like, are we at nine? I think we're at nine transfers. We're at nine. There's like six or seven that I'm like, they're going to play. Like, they're going to be part of the team, but I don't, I don't know. I just, I still, I guess what's holding me up is I want to say, yeah, this looks like an 11-win team. But then I look at the schedule and I still find so many games that they could lose. They could lose Boise State. They could go to Louisville and lose. They're probably going to go to Cincinnati and lose. I hope not because, wow, I'm just really getting annoyed with Cincinnati fans on Twitter these days. <laughs> But, and I, they could lose at Memphis. They could lose, or, well, they play Memphis here, but they could lose to Memphis. They could lose at SMU. There's a ton of losable games. So I guess I'm just trying to balance, like, yes, they've reloaded everywhere they need to reload. I think the defense is going to be way better than it was last year, which really isn't saying anything, but still. But I just, I can't, I'm trying to figure out where that balances with that kind of schedule. Yeah, and you kind of got me thinking, we're not going to go too deep into this, but is this the toughest schedule they've had since, when, 2013, maybe? It might be, honestly, because they, I mean, I don't want to, I, mm, I don't know, 2017 was pretty tough. They played three top 25 teams in the regular season in 2017. This is, I think, I don't think they've had a schedule this tough going into a season yeah, in a while. Like, that's fair. Because also the other thing that people like, when was the last time UCF opened with like a marquee matchup to open the season? Usually they start with like an FCS or like a UConn, group of, which or, FCS, you were right in saying. Same thing. Yeah. Literally, I mean, so what were the openers? 19... 20 was Georgia Tech. Okay, so that's kind of. Yeah. But that was that was more just. The it wasn't supposed schedule. to be the opener, right? No, it's supposed. UNC be... was supposed to be the opener. Oh yeah, so which would have been, been a way bigger yeah. one. But so Georgia Tech, which was like a three-win ACC team, is so not so much. 19 was FAMU. 18 was UConn. 17 was FIU. 16 was SC State. Let's not talk about 2015. <laughs> but I, it's been a long time. That's what. So I am going to get UCF fans. Don't piss me off, guys, because I'm going to be like if UCF goes and loses to Boise, that doesn't really change anything for the long-term outlook or even the next season or this coming season outlook. But I just know that all this hype is going to evaporate if they lose <laughs> that game. So it sucks that they're not starting with Bethune-Cookman. It's good. It's going to be Mal. Oh, I was going to say Malzahn out. I just, this is, this Malzahn isn't European. <laughs> this isn't Europe, but it's going to be fire Malzahn after one game. Um, but no, okay, yeah, just going back to, to what you said about um, not wanting to, not really knowing if you're going to change your 10 and two prediction. I think if you were to ask me gun to my head, I don't know why this would be a situation, but Gun to my head, you know, what is UCF's record going to be in 2021? I think I would still probably stick to 10-2. and two. Just, yeah, based on the schedule and just based on how tough, I think, you know, some of these stretches are in the season and how tough college football is in general. You know, I think we talk about it all the time that in 2017, UCF went undefeated, and it's really, really hard to go undefeated. Even if you have the easiest schedule in, in college football, there's just, it's so hard to be that dialed in and so hard to be that, you know, perfect every week. To where you win every game, so I, I would still say ten and two. But I think, in terms of excitement, optimism, I think some of these additions really do have me feeling like this team could could challenge for. And I thought I already did think they could challenge for the conference title, but I, I think even more so now. It feels like the holes on this team, and you know, a lot of the question marks we had. A lot of these guys are kind of, I think, going to be expected to step in and fill those, and I think they're more than capable of doing so. Well, but like, like you said, like. To me, ten and two doesn't mean they're not in the AAC race. I mean, that's true. Yeah, you lose. I mean, one of those two losses comes to Boise State or Louisville, and I mean, one loss, one loss team's going to be in the conference championship game. So I don't think that those are separate things. I think that that's the thing that UCF fans are because of the way like UCF has not 
really, except for 2014, which was a little different because it was like back then there wasn't a championship game. But UCF hasn't really, yeah, what a time. <laughs> UCF really hasn't done the whole like win a conference championship without being a New Year's Six team thing. Like I think for UCF fans, that's very much tied that it's like undefeated and conference title or 10 and 2 and Gasparilla Bowl. <laughs> and there's not like a middle ground there where you, like UCF could absolutely go 10 and 2, then go beat Memphis or Cincy or SMU or whoever in the AC championship and then go to the Liberty Bowl or something, which I think would be a great first season for Malzahn. Even making the game, even if you lose. Yeah, no, I mean, I, th- I think so too. Um, and yeah, it, it's I think it's weird. There's that little bit of a disconnect where it feels, just because I think the, the two years, 2017 and 18, everyone got spoiled and just felt like, you know, if this is the ceiling, if, if we're going to win the conference, we're going to New Year's Six. But I think the reason that, my, in my mind, I was a little bit shying away from AAC title hopes at 10-2 and two is because when we went game by game, when the schedule first came out, one of our earliest podcasts, I think I had a loss to Cincinnati and then a loss to SMU late. Yeah. And so I just feel like that would probably keep him out. But I don't know. I, I think... Yeah, two... Well, that's the problem, too, yeah. is that... And, and and it's like, I really would like UCF to make a conference title in the next couple of years here just to calm me down. Because I don't... It's a lot harder to make it with no divisions. Because obviously yeah. this is the second year. Like that, And the AAC East, which UCF was in, sorry UCF fans, was the easier division. The West had <laughs> Houston, Memphis, SMU, Tulane. Like, lots of teams that are good most good. of the time. Yeah. Navy. I mean, yeah. Even, but teams like... The East had teams that would pretty consistently not be good at football. Like UConn or USF. Temple would have bad seasons here and there. So UCF really just had to deal with Cincinnati yeah. to get to a conference title. And now you're up against the field. So it's a lot more difficult. Yeah, and so I think that's where my expectations are still. I'm trying to still temper my expectations a little bit. I'd still stay ten and two, but I do think you know things can break the right way, and I think this is a team that's going to be in the in the in the conversation for the conference championship at the end of the at the end of the season. Um, but Christian, I think we, we can go ahead and move on to to what we're going to talk about um, with our, our three biggest impact players from from this group of transfers. We're each going to give our three. And I'm sure there's going to be some overlap here because obviously it's a pretty – I mean, it's there's nine transfers. It's a lot of transfers, but it's still a pretty small pool to, to be picking from three each. So I'm going to go ahead and, and give you the floor first and, and let you go with your first uh, your first impact player out of this transfer group. Um, yeah, my I mean, listen, there's one player – I'm going to actually give you four because there's one extra player here that I feel like stands out above all, and that is Riker Casey from App State, the new <laughs> kicker. Now listen, I'm aware that he hasn't kicked a field goal in a game since high school. But uh, Obarski has barely successfully kicked a field goal in a game since <laughs> high school. So I feel like having another kicker, even in the locker room, is, is a major impact. So that, I'm not going to count this one like three because I feel like picking a kicker is just whatever. But it's kind of like you know, like a, a team like the Tampa Bay Bucks taking a kicker high in the NFL draft. But I really think that just having another kicker in the locker room would be nice. It's just a little bit of insurance because... Man, and I feel bad for Obarski. I, I know that we like poke fun at him a lot, and I know that some UCF fans are like actively at war with him on Twitter, <laughs> which is a bit much. But it is just it's it hurt them last year. I mean, that, we talked about in a past podcast how if you just change him making that kick against Memphis, totally changes the, how that season is perceived because UCF's in the New Year's Six and conference title race up and up through the Cincy game. Um, so yeah, I just think having another kicker in the mix is important. But I'm gonna give you a real one now. I think that... Hold on, hold on. I'm going to pretend that you didn't just reference the Roberto Aguayo pick. I'm going to I'm gonna choose to be a goldfish on that one. And <laughs> I'm just... I'm going to forget it and, and not not dwell on it too much. Because, hey, the Bucks just won the Super Bowl. I don't have to think about picking kickers in the second round. What did they do in the decade before they won the Super Bowl? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't know. I'm a goldfish. All right. Give me your, give me your first real one. <laughs> Um, my first real one is uh, Ricky Barber, who came from okay. Western Kentucky. That one was interesting to me because, like, I, I don't mean to be, like, the Power Five type of person that I don't like, but, you know, the boom came out from Gus, and I'm like, Western Kentucky? Like, is this, like, <laughs> really? But then when you actually read into him, I mean, he is going to fill a need for UCF. And, I mean, we, we've talked about over and over again how bad the defense was in 2020. And you can argue back and forth on how much of that was Heupel's offensive scheme versus just the defense didn't have as much talent as it usually did, but he's just someone that I think can fit in right away. I think he's going to start and make a big impact. I mean, we talked about with Travis Williams, that side of the ball is going to be important again. And I feel like, and it's, and I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like they've been prioritizing the defense with these transfers. I know there've been some notable offensive guys, but it feels like when an offensive guy comes in, it's like, Oh, okay. Like that another weapon 
for Gabriel. That's good. When a defensive guy comes in, it's like, thank God. He needs yeah. to be good right away. So I think Ricky Barber is going to factor in right away. He was great in Conference USA. I mean, it seemed like it was a big loss for Western Kentucky when he decided to move on. And also, I guess just on a more philosophical note, wow, that is just kind of the era of college football we're in now. You go have a good season in Conference USA, and you're looking <laughs> at where am I going to go next because now I can get somewhere else. Yeah, and I think you made a good point there about you know, when, when there was an offensive transfer, when there's been an offensive transfer, it has just kind of been, it's been exciting. There's been some exciting names that have popped up. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot to love about what they can bring to the team in 2021, but it very much was like, okay, cool. We got another weapon. We got another like stud on the offensive side of the ball. And when it's a defensive guy, it's like, okay, he's going to step in and like, he's going to change the way we play defense. He's going to be, you know, an, an impact guy right away because there's just so many more question marks so many more holes to fill on the defense because we don't know especially with the new coaching staff but just also because of the way things went last year we don't know who's going to be starting at all these positions on defense no so and you need playmakers we talked about this when we were talking about our draft preview i mean with richie grant and i know these i mean we don't really have any guys who are going to be richie grant or even playing that position but it it, you just you need guys that are going to make plays on that side of the ball and that that was really what i felt was lacking a lot of the time in 2020 was they had richie and that was it. Yeah. So it's like, you, I, I just, you got to get back to that side of the unit being, or that unit ha- making an impact in games. And, and like, and we like we talked about, and I think that's why it's attractive for defensive transfers because the scheme is going to be different on both sides of the ball. And yeah. it's not going to be what we ran into with Hypo where the defense is literally in real time getting a 30 second break. <laughs> so hopefully that'll make a difference. But yeah, I, I absolutely, I think Ricky Barber is going to be. I'm excited to see what he can do against some better competition. Wow, I'm sounding like a power five. <laughs> but yeah, looking forward to I'm it. very much looking forward to actually, yeah, the defense getting a little bit more time on the sideline to, to catch their breath. And, you know, if, if they just give it up a touchdown, they're going to have a little bit more time to make some adjustments in the game. Because I know a lot of people, and, and myself included, would criticize um, Randy Shannon for not making in-game adjustments, waiting until halftime. But I kind of do wonder how much of that is just, he doesn't have a lot of time to talk to his guys. You know, the position coaches don't have a ton of time with their guys to, to dissect what went wrong and to, to figure out, you know, what they can switch on to. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And, um, you know, we're going to stick on the defensive side of the ball for my first guy. And I think, I've, I don't know, if, if we went back to this since, I don't know when he, when he actually, exactly he committed, but I don't know how many podcasts we've done since. But I've mentioned him, I want to say like every other podcast, but it's Big Cat Bryant. I think Big Cat Bryant, in the same vein as Ricky Barber, is going to step right in. I think he's going to start. I think he's going to make a, a huge impact off the edge for UCF and you know this is a guy that correct me if I'm wrong he was a captain at Auburn right I believe so So he was was all SEC second team yeah so I mean he obviously played at such a high level in you know a tough conference I know it's it's especially tough now with with the kind of offenses they run in the SEC so he's had that much success and I want to say also he was considering going to the NFL right but then he decided you know to transfer and he he rejoined Gus Malzahn here at UCF and I think that he's a guy who's going to be one of the one of the key parts of this defense, both in terms of product productivity, but also in terms of leadership. Because you know, if you're you're a captain in a place like Auburn, I think it's going to be natural for him to step into you know a defense that is going to be probably looking to, looking for leaders. They don't really know who's going to be that next guy up. So I think it's going to be kind of just a natural progression for him to step right in. You know, whether he's leading by example or whether they trust him already to be you know that kind of vocal leader that the defense needs. I think that's where you're going to see even more of an impact from him too is, is you're going to see it in a kind of a double-edged way where, yeah, I think he's going to get to the quarterback and make a lot of plays on the field, but I think he's also going to be a key guy for the defense off the field. Yeah, and I mean, he's already sort of, you talk about him being a leader, we've kind of seen that on Twitter a bit. I mean, he's tweeting yeah. a lot. I think at one point he tweeted, like, we're going to run the conference, and I'm like, <laughs> man, you're going to fit right in with this fan base. Like, yeah, no, he's a, he was, was he the first transfer of the Malzahn era? It was either or was it Mark Richards. Anthony Richards? I think it was Mark Richards. Anthony Richards. Well, either way, I mean, he was the first one. Like, I always, I, whenever a guy leaves, I like to gauge it on how the fan base that he's leaving feels about him. So yeah. I go look at their tweets. And Auburn fans were like, why? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, come on. <laughs> like, why are you leaving us? I mean, he was an impact guy for them. And I obviously think he'd be an impact guy here. I, I'm not, like, I know that I was reading some national stuff and it was like, oh, wow, with him stepping down from SEC to AAC, he's just going to, like, it's going to be like a season like you've never seen. No, because that's never the way it happens. No, the AAC is not as good of a conference as the SEC. Not even, like, close. I'm sorry, guys. SEC is the best there is. But I still think that... I know. (laughs) Wow. It just means more. My bad. But, yeah. I mean, and it's like, I'm just like that... 
I mean, how often in the last, like, three years did we really even talk about UCF's defense? I mean, it's uh, like all the focus was on the offense. And so I like that we, we that at least in the transfer portal, which UCF has really sort of been treating like free agency and doing a good job, they've been prioritizing defense. We're talking about, the first two guys we talked about are two guys that are going to make an immediate impact. And, like, you put Ricky Barber and Big Cat on last uh, last year's team. I think that literally changes the outcome of that season. I think it does. I mean that, and that's what you're when you talk about impact guys. That's what that means. So yeah, I mean, and honestly, when we've talked about changing our record predictions, which I know I said I don't think I'm really changing mine, but none of it has been about the offensive weapons they've added. None of it's been about that because with what UCF does and with the way college football is and with a quarterback like Dylan Gabriel, offense is always going to be good. It might not be 48 points a game good, but it's going to be good. That hasn't been my concern. So as UCF addresses their needs on the other side of the ball, that's where I start to get like, okay, maybe this can be a different season than we were anticipating where we don't have to win games 56 to 45 <laughs> to yeah. be getting to the A's championship game. And I think even in, even on the same kind of wavelength right there is that I'm not going to change my prediction for the, for the record as of right now anyway, but I think it, it kind of makes me feel more solidified in that prediction because before it was like, yeah, I think a lot of things have to go right for them to go 10-2. and two. I was basically just banking on the defense like being better, and those two losses I was kind of just accounting for. It's really hard to go undefeated. They're going to play, be playing some good teams, and I think they're going to drop a couple games. Well, now, yeah, maybe I still think they're going to go 10-2, and two, but I don't think it's going to be – I think I feel a little bit more you know, confident that the defense is, is going to be better. They're not going to be necessarily the reason that the team loses games. I think it's more going to be – you know, sometimes you just lose a game by a field goal. You know, you get outplayed for a series or two, which whatever it is, there's small differences that can change the outcomes of games. But I don't. I, I feel more confident now in both sides of the ball. And then I think the the two losses that I'm predicting are kind of more just going to be like just happenstance. It's just you lose games. You're not going to go undefeated every year. So I, that's that's where I kind of feel like yeah, they've been prioritizing defense, and it's solidified my belief in this bounce back from the defensive side of the ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've, you mentioned how much, how often do we talk about the UCF defense in the last few years? I mean, we just spent probably on, on Ricky Barber and on Big Cat Bryant, we spent what, like 10 minutes probably talking about the two of them. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's more to get to. So I'll, I'll go ahead and throw it over to you. I don't know if you're sticking on the defensive side of the ball or going to go over to the offense, but. Yeah, we just spent more time talking about Barber and Bryant than I think UCF's offense spent <laughs> on the field in 2020. Um, yeah, so now that we've talked about how, you know, none of the offensive guys really wowed me, let's talk about Jordan Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, four, the four star wide receiver transfer from Notre Dame. I'm sorry, guys. I know everyone's tweeting he's a five star. No one goes by rivals. Twenty four seven's the the yeah. industry standard. That's what everyone uses. I'm sorry. He still I still was one of the highest ranked players in his class, and is still a massive massive get. Oh, oh, I have to address another thing. So I wasn't even thinking about this, but hold on. A lot of UCF fans are also referring to Jordan Johnson as the biggest recruit ever for UCF, highest rated recruit ever. Guys, listen up. I know that we didn't have like websites back then but there was this guy Dante Culpepper in the 90s I don't think that UCF fans like younger UCF fans which it's fine because like we don't really talk about Culpepper that much anymore no. just because they didn't go to a bowl under him because they were an independent well I mean we talk about like fans don't really acknowledge even 2013 yeah so well that's it but it's, even before then it's, it's like, a it's a double-edged sword because the, it shows the fan base is growing and yeah. that's a good thing but then part of it is you sort of have stuff lost in the shuffle and one of those was Dante, like, UCF landing Dante Culpepper would be like Stetson signing a top 10 overall player today. Like, that's literally how big of a deal it was. Every single team in the nation wanted Culpepper. Every team in Florida wanted him. It was a big freaking deal that UCF got him. It was just in this sort of era before recruiting and, well, recruiting was always the thing, but, you know, before the whole internet before world it was around a it. Took yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's no, like, numbers to compare to it. Dante Culpepper, like, I, I don't, like... UCF can never get a recruit as highly rated as Dante Culpepper would have been the rest of their history and still win a heck of, heck of a lot of games and be fine. <laughs> but anyway, got way off topic on that one. Yeah, no, Jordan Johnson. So nice that Jordan Johnson's back with UCF after a two-year break. Yeah, um, not, not that Jordan Johnson. but Yeah, we even do Jordan Johnson now. But no, I think he's a guy that I think is going to factor in right, right away because wide receiver was the one spot where it was kind of like, okay, like we have O'Keefe, we have Jalen Robinson. Who's going to be that third guy? Is it going to be Brandon Johnson who came from Tennessee? He's another transfer, by the way, but he... Was, he came here before the Mulzahn right. era started. Um, you know, who's going to fill in that third spot? Is it going to be Titus? I, I feel like, I mean, Notre Dame fans were distraught that he <laughs> left. I was go and then, of course, I have I, seen, I guess, their coach at one point discussed that it was classroom issues were part of the reason, which 
I know some fans that was a little bit of like, oh, for me, I'm like, you mean it wasn't a talent issue? Like, <laughs> let's do it. I, I, I love UCF and I love my two degrees from the school, but UCF's not Notre Dame as far as the classroom's concerned, so maybe that won't be a problem here. But no, I think I, that's another guy who I, th- I think he's going to factor in right away, which that's exciting. Yeah, and because remember we did the we did our biggest questions we had on the offensive side of the ball, and I think both of us, I think maybe it was your question, was about the receiver depth, and it was going to be mine if it hadn't been yours. Um, but yeah, I, I think there is definitely a spot, like we talked about on the defense, where there's some gaps to fill on defense. Well, there's there's some gaps to fill even on the offensive side of the ball too, and it's it's a lot has to do with the, the depth chart at wide receiver. Um, because I think yeah, I think you go into the season and Jalen Robinson's your number one and O'Keefe's your number two. But yeah, like you said, who's number three? And I can think, I make a prediction really quickly right yeah. now? I think O'Keefe is going to be number one. Do you? I do. Just throwing that out there. Interesting. Tell me I'm wrong in six months, everybody. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not gonna like gloat because I, I could, I could see it. I'm not gonna like come back and gloat in your face if you're wrong. But I think he's gonna be, he's gonna be a huge part of the offense. But yeah, I, I think Jordan Johnson's a guy that can step right into that number three role. He was gonna be one of my picks here um, for our for our picking picking three. Um, so I mean, I guess we can just dwell, dwell on him for a little bit longer. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it was it was interesting just to see the reaction from Notre Dame fans and just. In general, because who who else? I want to say he was also considering. Cause I saw some a Missouri fan was in the comments just saying like so start talking about. Trash I'm just talk. blatantly stealing this from people in the know because I don't do any original reporting these days okay. since uh, we're sort of <laughs> out of the sports journalism world for a little bit. Um, oh, I don't remember where I saw. It. I think I think I saw it on both Rivals and Two Four Seven. So credit to Brand Helwick and Jason Beatty, whichever one of them had this because I don't remember which one. Sorry guys, that it looked like it, it really came down to UCF in Florida. Oh, okay. And Missouri thought they were getting him because he was a St. Louis native. I that believe. was what it was. Okay, and yeah. they just kind of, Missouri fans were just kind of like, ah, of course, he'll come home. Because that's what <laughs> everyone's doing. And he just headed a little further south than they were anticipating. So, Which, by the way, I, I it's been a joy to watch, to apparently find out that Missouri fans think they're a better program than UCF. Yeah. that Like, they actually believe it. And there were a lot of UCF fans correctly putting Missouri fans in their places. <laughs> On uh, Twitter, I mean, wow, like, guys, you're just not good at football and haven't been for a very long time. I think, on that topic, I think it's just been interesting because we saw it with, with that, and we also saw it, remember when, when Titus was making his uh, decision on Instagram Live, you just saw all the opposing or all the other fans of other schools, and they're like, why would he pick UCF? Like, that's yeah. stupid. Like, why would he pick USC There was a USC, yeah, there was like USC fans. Confused. And they're like, yeah, UCF, why do you guys think you're getting them? And then, sure enough, he picks UCF, and... Yeah, so I just think the and still there's there's people in the in the wider college football world that just don't understand the level that UCF is at now and yeah it's it UCF's a better program than a large majority of Power Five programs. And then I saw like a one Missouri fan literally tweeted like, "What would he see in UCF where he would want to go there?" What Gee, would he see I in don't Let's see. Well, what, see. what, what could he see from UCF? I guess he could see the multiple near six appearances, ranked seasons, and conference championships in the last few years. I guess he could look at their top three receivers from this past season and see that all of them are now in the NFL. <laughs> I guess it's things like that that he could look at. I don't know. I, I mean, literally, if you're a wide receiver, there are not a lot of schools out. Like, literally, are there any schools outside of the Blue Bloods that you would put on your list ahead of UCF? I mean, UCF, you put up crazy numbers, you go to big games, you get drafted. Yeah, I mean, look at I the mean, receivers they put in the draft. Like, come on. Just year after year, they're putting more and more. And, you know, not all of them are, are day one and two picks. But still, you're getting drafted. That's, that's a big deal. And that's ultimately the goal. Yeah, and you're you right. Get... Not all of them are day one and two picks. Gabe Davis wasn't a day one or yeah. two pick. And I mean, look at him. You, you just All you have to do is, is get your shot. And UCF has, has been doing that just as well as almost anyone in college football is, is getting guys their shot in the NFL. So, yeah, I don't the, – the reaction, it was, it was just kind of funny to see, um, you know, opposing fan bases not understand, you know, that UCF is at this level now and where they can get a guy like Jordan Johnson who, like, yeah, we both, both agreed – is going to be an impact guy here in 2021. Uh, I don't really have because it is. I don't know. It seemed even in the spring game, and it, you can't take too much away from spring games, spring practices. But from I wasn't even there. But from what I understand, no one really like took hold of that receiver spots. Like no one really impressed. Overly impressed. My takeaway from the open scrimmages, that, yeah. which apparently we're not supposed to talk about, but um, whatever. Well, you were there as a fan. I was there as a fan, so apparently I can talk about it. Um, <laughs> I'm still not going to because I want to be credentialed in fall. But uh, no, it's it, I, it seemed like the consensus, as people said on Twitter, was like it, O'Keefe and Jalen, and then it seemed like Brandon Johnson was sort of your third guy. Brandon Johnson, it wasn't anything where you were like, ah, oh, we've got our three guys, but it was enough that like we can work with this. Yeah. And of course, we haven't seen Titus yet, which you never know what you're going to get from a true freshman. I, he might fill a similar, similar role to like Gabe Davis as a true freshman in 2017, yeah. wasn't like 
out there all the time, but it was enough that, you know, he could come in and make some plays and get, and we, we knew, we knew who he was going into 18. I think that might be the role that Titus takes on. Which I didn't remember necessarily in 2017 because was, it was him and Marlon was a freshman too, right? Yeah. So. Which Marlon, they were like, he was running the ball. Yeah. I was, I was watching, um, while I was dealing with my, my COVID vaccine side effects earlier (laughs) this week, I was watching, uh, the, some, it was like a 40 minute, like condensed game of the UCF Memphis Conference Championship game and I heard both Marlon and Gabe's name a couple times and I was like I forgot like that they contributed you know this early so yeah I mean you never really know you can see what um what Titus is going to do once he gets on campus but so Gabe Davis sorry I just want to say what he had so it's freshman in 2017 he had 27 receptions for 391 yards and four touchdowns yeah I mean I could totally see a year like that from Titus to be honest I really I could too yeah I mean we'll see or whoever that fourth or fifth wide receiver ends up being yeah. outside here. But I, I really do think Jordan Johnson's going to be one of your top three guys. Which... I do I do too. And I think I think you can pencil him in as number three right now, but he could even, you know, outpace some of the – maybe he could outpace and be the number two guy by the end of the just Yeah, we just have to see. I mean, you look at the last few years, like I, like, I don't know. Like, it was a little different with Gabe Davis, but, like, I, I was anyone really pegging Marlon Williams as the number one guy going into 2020? I felt like that was going to be Trey Nixon. And maybe it would have been if he didn't get hurt, but – I gotta say, and I don't know what I don't really recall what it was, but my friend, my good buddy Matt, your your former roommate and good ah. buddy Matt, he was he was big on on Marlon Williams as a freshman. I don't really, really yeah, I, he really liked Marlon Williams. He took to Marlon Williams as a freshman, and I think he's been uh, he's probably been proven pretty pretty right over the last few years. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's, and you never really know who's gonna pop up and, and be that next guy. So. UCF has a has quite the group of, of receivers that could you know potentially be that, but I think yeah Jordan Johnson is the kind of guy who who's going to step up and step in right away and and produce. But um, I think we've probably spent about as much time on Jordan Johnson as we did the first two combined. Pretty um, much. Well, it also we got a little just off onto the Missouri. That's true too. Yeah. I I do want to like I I just want to spend a little bit of time also on the wider thing, and I've tweeted about this a couple times now. To me, of this is like. We, this is the first summer where we're truly in a new era of college football, where you, this is a way to build teams. SMU's yeah. been doing it for a couple of years, actually. But And I like that UCF is really is really taking advantage of it. I think we're going to get to a point. I'm going to make a wide college football prediction here. I think we're going to get to a point, not soon, but within a few years. I'll say within five years, that your transfer class is as important as your freshman class. I, I really think, think that's what I we're think moving so. towards. It's going to be much more, those scholarships are going to be split a lot more. I think it's going to be much more of a thing where, because you're going to start looking at the transfer guys as your guys that are going to immediately make an impact. There aren't a lot of situations really where you look at to true freshmen to make an immediate impact. Transfers, it's like changes the team overnight. I mean, FSU's tried to do that with yeah. a couple UCF guys and just some other guys. I mean, I think I'm just happy that UCF is one of the teams that's establishing itself as a destination team. I would love to talk to someone in the recruiting office just about how they feel like that they'll how, how they feel they'll approach that in the coming years is like. How early do you start like looking into the portal, looking at guys like at other schools that you're like, maybe you went after them in, in recruiting in the begin to begin with, and they haven't necessarily taken to their new school, or they haven't been doing much as a freshman. Like, I wonder how early they're kind of like pick some guys out, or like let me watch and see as soon as his name hits, enters the portal, we're gonna go get him, or we're gonna go go after him. I kind of just want to know what the process is gonna be like from a recruiting standpoint. And you think it's you think it's like crazy right now? We have a whole nationwide freshman class right now made up of probably 90 95 percent of these guys have never even been on campus of where they committed yeah. like next offseason's transfer portal is going to be nuts and that's where UCF can really thrive because like you talked about it with you know what is the stress I mean it, it's like so many of these guys and it's why I think I said on another podcast I think it's UCF Houston and SMU have more to gain from this transfer portal year than anybody because so much talent comes from those areas and yeah. goes out all over the country then you find out, and it can it could be a variety of reasons. I don't want people to think it's just UCF saying, oh, these are the guys that didn't make it at other schools. Like, Jordan Johnson's not a guy that didn't make it at Notre Dame. It just wasn't working out. Yeah. And where do a lot of these, and I know he's not the best example because he's from the St. Louis area, but a lot of these guys, the first place they look is back to home. Mm-hmm. And for so many incredibly talented guys, back to home is UCF. And it's not like UCF is some upstart little program here. UCF's been a force in college football for a few years now. Yeah, and that's not a bad, like, I think just in, in wider life where like people will kind of look down like, like you return back to your like home or you, whatever you, you end up back home you don't go and branch out they kind of like look down on that but to, to have that as your option to oh let me go back home to UCF like that's that's a big deal and I think that's what we're going to continue to see year in and year out 
Um, but we'll go ahead and move on to your final uh, impact player from the transfer class. And then I, I have a feeling we're going to agree on this one, so we'll probably just talk about this guy for a little bit, but go ahead. I gave you all mine. Did you? Yeah. We, I, I gave you Ricky Barber. We agreed on Big Cat and uh, Jordan Johnson. Oh, we agreed on Big Cat. Yeah. I, I didn't realize. Okay, so I guess I probably should have said that at some point. Yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> but okay, fine. I'll go with. My well, list. I also gave you Riker Casey. So yeah. Well, I, I had also agreed with Riker Casey. I agreed with um, Jordan Johnson, and then I also had thrown out Big Cat. So I guess those were technically my three. I didn't know if the Riker Casey one. We didn't spend too much time on on him, but I do want to throw out the the most recent uh, transfer, and that was uh, Bryson Armstrong. From the linebacker from Kennesaw State, who produced at a really high level, and he was the um, their conference player, defensive player of the year back in 2019, and then in like a five game season in 2020 was really productive. And I think again on the defensive side of the ball, UCF's going to be looking for leaders. They're going to be looking for playmakers, and it seems like he's kind of just got that that way about him where he makes plays and he's going to be around the ball. So I think he's a guy who who could step in, and I think there's a little bit more competition at linebacker than there maybe is at on the defensive line. But I still think he's a guy who, even if he doesn't start from day one, he'll figure into plans pretty heavily. Which he had, I just want to say, he had 30 tackles, one and a half sacks, and a pick six in a five-game season. That's a pretty <laughs> that's a pretty solid stretch. Yeah. Um, I'm really curious about him because I, like, listen, FCS, the difference between FCS and FBS is massive. I mean, you, you consistently see the best teams in FCS go play a low-level FBS team and lose by like 30. So it, it, it's a dramatic drop there. So I, it seems like the plan is for him to factor in. Yeah. I don't. I'm not gonna jump immediately and say he will just because I want to see how he deals with a dramatic uptick in competition. But no, I mean he. I mean he. He's. I mean he. Like I just said, he just he's had a great stretch. He's been, and it's not just like a one year thing. We talk about back to 2019. I mean he's been good at that level. So yeah. I don't. It's not surprising. And I'm wondering if with this transfer rule, we'll see more of that now. Yeah. Guys at the FCS, we just saw that Jawan Hamilton is a. Uh, Former UCF yeah. uh, running back who went down to JMU, had a couple good years, and he's on the move again, uh, using his extra year to try to come back up to FBS. So I'm curious if we'll see more of that. But yeah, I, that'll be an interesting one to me because I do think like group of five and power five, there's a, there's a gap, but they're both FBS. They're both made up of three stars and up, essentially. FCS is largely like two to no stars. Yeah. So it, it's a it, the competition is totally different. So I'm just, I, I hope that he is a good addition, but I'm I'm a little more I'm a little more hesitant to throw him in there just because I'm not sure how he'll adapt to. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but I, I'm far less hesitant just because maybe it's just because I I've seen him talked about and branded as like one of the top defensive players at the FCS level where I kind of just feel like I think he'll be able to acclimate himself and get right into the defense and yeah maybe he doesn't start from day one but I think by the end of the year you're you're talking about this guy as an impact player on the defense but I could be wrong. Which, like, know. clearly the NFL disagrees with me because the <laughs> FCS quarterback just went third yeah. overall this year. Yeah. But I also thought that was stupid, and we'll see how that plays out. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I mean, real quick, we'll just hit on this before we jump into the news. But um, we, we talked about it a little bit last week about how you said that, that the recruiting pitch can be, hey, look at all these transfers that came to UCF and now they're in the NFL. You know, what is this class of transfers? And yeah, I think you hit on it a little bit earlier, too, just about how important this is going to be. Um, these kind of classes are going to be compared to you know your regular recruiting class uh, from high school. But just what is what does this class of transfers tell you about what UCF's uh, coaching staff is going to focus on in the future and like how this can positively impact UCF? I think we're already seeing it this year, but on what kind of scale do you think this can go up to? Well, I I mean my main takeaway we talked about a lot when Malzahn came in that. I felt he was a lot of talk, which I liked because we need that. We, yeah. we just went from Heupel, whose only goal in all of life is to go 1-0. <laughs> Attacking all three phases. And Scott Frost, who had one hand on the door handle the whole time he was here. <laughs> um, and Malzahn came in and was like, we're going to win national championship. We're going to be a top four team, top 25 all the time, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I was just kind of like, that's great that you're having the fan base, but I don't believe that you mean it. And these moves to me signal that th- he does not see this. I, he's inheriting a 6-4 and four team, which is, I guess, the equivalent of like 8-5 and five in a normal season. He does not see this as a rebuild. He does not see this as a foundational year, which is what I kept referring to this year as. Malzahn wants to win now. I mean, that's what these moves are. These, I mean, the, Jordan Johnson's a little different because he's got four years left, but all these guys are guys who only have a couple years of eligibility or one year of eligibility. They want to win now. And, and these guys aren't coming here to be part of a rebuild project. They're not coming here to win eight, eight games. They're coming here because Malzahn is clearly telling them we're going to do all these things I'm talking about. Is UCF going to be in the playoff this year? No. There's no situation where that happens. There's no situation that happens for any group of five team, at least right now. But I'm just, you know, like we talked about, it just, it makes me want to revise my prediction. I'm not going to just because I don't want to get burned, but it's like, 
I just UCF they're putting together a really good team, and I think they could be really good this year. And I like that Malzahn. It's just it feels like, and I'm curious if you felt the same way. It just feels like, and, and maybe it's just because he's more public about it. It just feels like he's worked harder at the brand and at what this team can be in a couple of months. In a couple months, then Heupel and Frost combined in their entire tenure. It seemed like Heupel and Frost didn't want anything to do with that because they didn't see this as their team. They saw it as their stepping stone. Yeah, Malzahn sees this as his team. He's tweeting at Elon Musk to sponsor the stadium. <laughs> like I, it, it's just it's crazy. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree. And the one thing I will say about Frost is just with the rebrand in terms of uniforms and all that stuff. Like at least he was a part of that, and he was a part of the whole Rise and Conquer, and just he he did a little bit for the brand. I just don't feel like Heupel took it any further so frost was more like look and feel of the brand to yeah me, from a recruiting which was important and especially and i i'm i'm selling frost a little short here because also they were coming off an 0-12 season it's not like there was a yeah. brand to build <laughs> off of it wasn't like frost to come be like we're gonna win the national championship after yeah. an 0-12 season so i take that back frost did do some stuff it's just it was more 2017 to me where he didn't really want to go after the committee he didn't really want yeah. it there wasn't really anything of nfl like, he was just very quiet and i guess that's because at that point he was leaving no hypo <laughs> legitimately like and like we've talked about before, he learned it from Bob Stoops, so it's not a surprise, but he was just like, I am just here to win football games. I do not want to have a relationship with the fans. I do not want to talk to the media. I just want to go win football games. Yeah. Which worked when he was winning football games, and then he wasn't. And now he's Tennessee's problem. But yeah, I, 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 yeah, Malzahn is like, and I just want to say again, I'm going to just keep bragging about myself here apparently. I That, that first night, I was really excited about Malzahn, and, and UCF fans were mad, and understandably so, because all the players had come out and were like, we want Levy, and then the team was like, no, and yeah. it was a whole thing. But Malzahn, even as excited as I was for him, he's already exceeded my expectations, and he hasn't coached a game yet. Is this all going to change if UCF goes and loses to Boise? Maybe. I, I Maybe that'll change how fans feel in the short term, but I just... He's, he's doing everything right. He's doing everything right both on and off the field right now, and that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, continuing to brag about yourself, I'm not sure how you know how you realize how psychologically healthy that really is. Um, <laughs> I think I think uh, that's where we can leave this this conversation because, yeah, I, we will see, and we, we've, we can get excited about the transfers and, and the class that, um, that UCF has gotten, but we'll just see how it plays out on the field, obviously, and how many of these guys do get acclimated really quickly and, and jump right in. Um, into the rotation, but we'll go ahead and move on to the news as we wrap up here. Um, the only bit of all sports news we have is that the 2021 Charge On Tour got underway on Wednesday in Fort Lauderdale. Um, some pretty cool pictures and videos to come out from that. I didn't really hear of anything like newsworthy that came out of it, but I know Johnny Dawkins was out there being wholesome, so you know that's what you always love to see. Uh, Football-wise, um, Pro Football Focus named Dylan Gabriel the fourth best returning quarterback in the country behind Spencer Rattler, uh, Sam Howell and Derek King, um, and of, of the top five, Desmond Ritter was not on the list. What? Uh, yeah, so... Future um, first-round pick, Desmond our... <laughs> Ritter, was not on the list of best quarterbacks? There's but, our weekly but shot. But lowly Dylan Gabriel was? <laughs> There's our weekly shot at Desmond Ritter. Um, I just hope we don't get, like, this thrown in our faces at the end. That we're not season. going to, because he's not a good quarterback. <laughs> okay. Um, Otis Anderson, actually, is, is other bit of news from from football. He's getting a shot in uh, this weekend's rookie minicamp with the Tennessee Titans. So good to see him up there. Um, and I think Greg McRae is the last one that we haven't heard anything about. But, you know, there's there's still options out there, hopefully, for him. Um, and, you know, if worse comes to worse, I would just, again, I would love to see him come back to UCF as a grad assistant. Because if he wants to get into coaching, why not start back at UCF um, in the running backs room? And last bit of football news, uh, Titus Mokiao Atimalala, the uh, highly rated freshman wide receiver that will be coming into UCF uh, this fall, was or this summer, was named the Gatorade High School Player of the Year for Hawaii, following in the footsteps of Mackenzie Milton and Dylan Gabriel. Um, so congratulations to him. You know, a lot more um, hype behind his name coming into Orlando this season. Uh, men's basketball, they had, uh, we talked last week a little bit about Aubrey Dawkins playing in the basketball tournament this summer. Um, Matt Williams, Keith Clanton, and Tristan Spurlock will all play in that same tournament as well. And UCF actually got a transfer. UCF basketball got a transfer um, this week from Mbake Jong. I think I said that uh, name correctly. Um, he transferred to UCF from UNLV. He averaged about nine points and seven rebounds over 28 minutes per game in 27 games last season uh, for UNLV. And he was on the Mountain West all-defensive team. So uh, seems to be a good get for, for Johnny Dawkins. Uh, they also had another signing... In JUCO All-American, uh, Time Freeman, who was the only freshman to earn JUCO All-American honors last season. He averaged 18.1 points and 7.3 rebounds per game last year. 
So a couple exciting additions for men's basketball. Uh, softball, they won three out of four to close their regular season over South Florida. Uh, they lost 2-0 on Friday before winning the doubleheader 4-3 and 9-1 on Saturday and then closing out the season on Senior Day with a 2-0 win on Sunday. They're still unranked across all the polls, and they finished the regular season 37-16-1. and uh, Aaliyah White was named the AAC Pitcher of the Week. She pitched 18 and two-thirds innings, didn't give up an earned run, and struck out 11, while Elise Volpe was named to the AAC's weekly honor roll. And the you know regular season conference honors came out, and Aaliyah White, Jada Cody, Jasmine Esparza, and Denali Schapacher were named to the All-AAC First Team. Shannon Doherty, Kira Klarkowski, Gianna Mancha, and Carissa Ornelas were named to the Second Team. And Cody, Juliana Wilson, and Kennedy Searcy were named to the All-AAC Rookie Team. So... UCF well represented there. Uh, and a little bit of alum news, Stephanie Best in, was inducted to the Seminole Sports Hall of Fame this week. She remains the Knights' all-time leader in average at 384, home runs with 71, and RBIs with 213. And uh, UCF got their conference tournament run started on Thursday uh, afternoon. They won 4-3 to in a tight one against number 6 seed ECU. That uh, allowed them to advance to Friday's semifinal against number two seed South Florida. So they'll play the Bulls once again after playing them four times last weekend. Baseball had a tough weekend at home, losing three out of four against Wichita State. They won six to three to start the weekend, um, but then lost eleven to one in the second game of the doubleheader on Friday. Then lost ten to three on Saturday and seven to six on Sunday. They're now twenty-three and twenty-five overall and thirteen and eleven in the AAC. Uh, men's soccer had Gino Vivi and Yannick Ertl named to the United Soccer's coaches uh, All-East region teams. Vivi was a first-teamer, and Ertl was on the second team. Men's tennis, their season came to an end. First, they won 4-0 on, uh, Saturday, on Saturday in the NCAA tournament first round against Monmouth. It was the first tourney victory in program history, but they unfortunately uh, saw their season end on Sunday with a 4-2 loss to number 16, Mississippi State. They finished the season 22-4 overall. Women's tennis is still going. They won on Friday against Charleston Southern in the first round, 4-0, before beating number 23 Miami on Saturday, 4-1 uh, to, to clinch uh, a second straight Sweet 16 appearance. They're now number uh, 20 and 4 overall, and they will host number 18 Duke on Sunday in the Sweet 16. Uh, in men's golf, Johnny Travail won the U.S. Open local qualifier uh, to advance to a final qualifier in June. And women's golf, uh, they tied for eighth at the Louisville Regional, seeing their season come to an end. Uh, looking at the road ahead, softball again will play on Friday in the AAC tournament semifinal against number two seed South Florida. Uh, would be nice to win that one and get to the final and hopefully win the final to bring home another conference championship. But uh, as it was talked about on the broadcast on Thursday, it seems as if uh, the bracketologists have them already penciled in as a number two seed for the NCAA tournament. So anything from here on out would be a nice bonus um, for the softball team. Baseball has a four-game weekend series at Tulane with a doubleheader on Friday, then they play Saturday and Sunday. Women's tennis, like I said, plays uh, their Sweet 16 match at home on Sunday against number 18, Duke. Men's golf will have Johnny Travail represent UCF in the NCAA Tallahassee Regional from Monday through Wednesday. The uh, outdoor track and field team has the AAC Championship in Tampa from Friday through Sunday. And for rowing, they have their AAC Championship uh, race on Sunday in Tennessee, so... Uh, again, the, the season's winding down for a lot of these, these programs, and we're about to hit the summer months where I'm not running down a ton of news every week. It's going to be a weird, a weird few uh, weeks, or I guess few months, for the news section of this podcast. But with that, Christian, I'll stop rambling. I'll give it over to you for your uniform of the week. Bef uh, before we do that, though, we'll, we'll talk about the previous winners. Men's soccer is a five-time winner. Women's basketball, one-time winner. Baseball is second with a four-time uh, winner. And uh, football has a one-time winner for their spring game uniform. So your uniform of the week for episode 17. So baseball could tie it up for first place with a win. They huh? could. They could. They're not going. Nah, I knew that was. I knew that was coming. The way the way you were looking at me, <laughs> I knew that was coming. Um. Yeah. Sorry, baseball. I did love the Skinner jerseys last week, but not today. Uh. I a new team is entering. A new team. That is correct. Brand new team. I'm curious. Well, the team's not new, but they're new to this. <laughs> Uh, I'm giving it softball for the uniforms today. They okay. went total clean whiteout all yes. the way through. And I thought it was... I still, like, I'm just not a huge fan of softball's uniforms as a whole. Mm -hmm. But looking at what else there was to pick from this week, I'm like, you know, that was a really clean whiteout. It even had the whole white UCF logo going on it. And I'm like, you know, let's throw softball in there. It's interesting, because earlier today I asked you if you had your uniform of the week, and you told me yes. And if you would have said no, 
I was going to suggest a uniform. And it was going to be softball, but it wasn't going to be the ones they wore today. I, I don't know why. I saw a picture of the anthracite jerseys that they wear, the anthracite uniforms. See, I don't like the collar on those. The collar? Yeah. I can't picture I'll it at this point. I'll but, show you a photo. But, yeah, I don't know. I like I, – the way it looked was – I think it was just the, the anthracite – the anthracite pants, anthracite jersey, uh, with obviously they had with white numbers, right? Yeah. And then they had they were wearing the white uh, white hats, and I was like, it just looked it looked clean. I think I'm sure they've worn that combo before, and it's never. They really wore that one. They eye. wear the anthracite ones a lot. Yeah, it's never caught my eye the way it did in this this particular photo. But I was like, ah, so that's a pretty clean look that that I do like. So well, now I want to see this particular photo. I'm glad softball. I'm glad softball cracked the list this week. I'll have to find that photo for you. And Which, for the record, week. baseball did come in second. I almost picked the white pinstripes. Okay. Yeah, I'm surprised those haven't been those haven't been on the list yet. And that was literally it. But that's why I didn't because I was like, if I'm picking them, it's exclusively just because they haven't been picked before. Yeah. And I just you know I went with what I felt was right. Yeah. So baseball baseball is running out of time to tie things up before the summer with men's soccer because they've got a series this weekend at Tulane and they're back home for the final regular season series next weekend against Houston. Then they have the conference tournaments. So. Well, we are close to the point where nope. it's just them and softball, and I just said I don't really like most of what softball wears, so I'm thinking they hey, might get it done. <laughs> women's tennis might enter the fray here. You never know. You do, and they won't. <laughs> okay, poor, poor women's tennis. Um, but So, okay, so softball enters, and they are a first-time winner. Congratulations, softball. I think that's um, perhaps the biggest thing going on for you guys right now. I know... The conference tournament is important, <laughs> but Christian's uniform of the week is pretty prestigious. I don't know. The conference tournament um, is a close second. <laughs> it's, a cl- it's a close one. Um, but w- with that, thank you guys so much for listening to episode 17 of the Pegasus podcast, our first in-person episode of the podcast. Um, I think it went pretty well. I don't. I didn't make that much eye contact with Christian just because I don't. I was. We really and, didn't look at each other because yeah. we both had our notes in front of us. Yeah, so just, just kind of staring at notes the whole time. I was lending <laughs> my ear to Christian but not really looking at him face to face, but... I don't know. I think it went well. I don't. We didn't have any internet issues, so it went infinitely better than some of our other podcasts. But we'll be back again next week with episode 18. We're almost creeping up to number 20. And Christian suggested earlier that we play happy birthday music for episode 20. I don't think we're going to do that. But I, <laughs> I don't know I like why, but I just feel like we should. I, might, I like the I spirit. Might. I like the spirit, but we'll do. So, we're we're have to do something special for episode 20. Yeah, I'm we'll, not sure what. We'll, we'll have to do something. I think episode 20. I don't know. I think from here on out, like. Every 10 episodes will feel pretty special. And then I think the one that will feel like super special is like when the football season's starting. I think that we should just promise Gus Malls on as a guest for episode <laughs> okay, 20. We cannot do and that. And then that'll motivate us to try to make it happen. <laughs> I Yeah, that's not happening. I'm not going <laughs> to promise that. I don't think ever. But hey, Gus, if you're listening, which you probably are, if you want to come on the podcast, we'd love to have you. Um, but we'll be back next week with episode 18. Gus probably won't be on the podcast. But. <laughs> Uh, until then, you can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCASimmons, and at Night Sports Now. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.